0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Cone of Shame Veterinary Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Andrew Roark. Guys, I have a fun episode today with Dr. Adam Little. This guy is super innovative. He is, a, he is an idea guy. I'm going to get into his bio uh, in a second when, when he comes on the podcast. Um, if you like to be excited about vet medicine, if you like to think about hospitals and where they're going and what the future looks like, this is a great episode. But you can hear, uh, he gets me fired up and, and we just, we geek out about the future and what is possible and what is defining hospitals today and what will define them in the future. And so if you like new ideas, if you like rolling around and looking at where we are and where we're going, man, you're going to enjoy this episode. Let's get into it. This is your show. We're glad you're here. We want to help you in your veterinary career. Welcome to the Cone of Shame with Dr. Andy Rourke. Welcome to the podcast, my friend Dr. Adam Little. How are you? Great Andy. Nice to be with you. Man, it's it's good to see you again. It has been uh it has been too long. Very very much so. It's uh yeah, it's
1: great to reconnect and, and chat a bit and hope you and everybody in the Uncharted community are doing
0: well. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean I I speak for me. It's yeah it's going, it's going pretty well. Um you so I've known you i I've, I've known you since that school I remember uh when you were so you you have, you have a DVM, you are a veterinarian. Uh, you've done work with artificial intelligence. Uh, you were the first ever director of innovation and entrepreneurship for Texas A&M's College of Vet Medicine, and um, you yeah, you also spearheaded like initiatives like the Veterinary Innovation Summit, which is still going on, and also the Veterinary Entrepreneurship Academy. And now you are the co-founder of GoFetch. Why don't you uh, give me a quick rundown on what that is?
1: Yeah, for sure. So um,
0: what we're trying to do at GoFetch is bring a subscription
1: model to vet practices that helps clients afford and access care and kind of combine some of the best parts of traditional wellness plans, savings and loyalty accounts and financing in a much simpler and easier to implement model that any practice can, can offer to their clients. And so practically speaking, what that means is that a pet owner signs up, they pay a subscription fee to us, we kind of manage that responsibility, and then they get benefits that are delivered by uh, our practice partners. Things like access to visits, 24 seven support, they have access to interest-free financing for big and unexpected bills, and then the ability to accumulate and save up rewards that kind of act like a pet savings account or mm-hmm. the ability to actually donate those rewards to help pets in need. And one of the really neat things that we do is we have this kind of community-based component of our of our program where we build a fund that practices can have access to and actually use to support low-income pets and families in their community, people who just can't afford care at all that are kind of coming in and saying, my pet needs essential support right now and I just can't afford it. So yeah. what we're really trying to do at a high level is create a more sustainable Profitable model for practices that really focuses on eliminating cost from the care uh, you
0: know that's provided. Um, so yeah, that's what we're working on. That's awesome, man. That that's really really cool. Uh, I I invited you to be here because you know coming into 2022, uh, I reached out at the beginning of 2022, and I I was I was sort of doing this uh, trying to trying to peer into my crystal ball for the year, and I was like, hmm, where is this year sort of going? And you're such an innovative thinker, and and you've got you've got your finger on the pulse in, in technology and a lot of communication things, and just in the way that that practices grow and evolve in your your work with the Veterinary Innovation Summit like you were really tapped into new and interesting things and so I reached out to you at the beginning of the year and said hey you're going to come on and do some future casting with me and you said I'm a bit busy I'm having a baby and <laughs> it's going to have to wait a little while and so we had to, we had to put it off but I still want <laughs> to go even though it's not the first of the year yeah. I still want to see, I still want to see your vision for the future. So let's, let's do a little exercise, um, called, uh, start, stop, continue. And so the w- way I want to do it is I want you to pick some things and, uh, tell me what you think veterinary practices need to start doing. Tell me what you think they need to stop doing and tell me what you think they'd like to continue. And let's kick those ideas back and forth a little bit.
1: Yeah, that that sounds great. Like I, I think, you know, it's a level set. Uh, all three of those categories. So practices are at a very interesting junction point because, in, in many ways, we're coming out of what has been a, in in some ways, many practices still going through it, but a very challenging disruptive time for how veterinary practices serve their clients and it meant that things that maybe practices could have put off or thought more about you know down the road things like telemedicine things like in-home um delivery of medications and food like these just became almost necessities There's, there's a huge accelerant that required practices to move at a pace that i think traditionally they would have been less comfortable with and now we're kind of dealing with a little bit of the Fallout of some of these things where people now, I think their relationships with their pets continue to deepen. And for many practices, they're just overextended in that capacity. They've mm-hmm. kind of been through the ringer where they've had this boomerang effect of, hey, we went to longer appointment times or curbside. How do we come back to that? What are the best practices that we're still trying to absorb? When, when really trying to maintain um, a, a staff that is increasingly burnt out and, and overextended. So that's a really challenging yeah. position to be in. So when I kind of look at, you know, what are some things that, what, what, are, what do I see to continue in for the next couple of years? And what does that mean for practices in terms of the actions that they can start taking now? And one of the first ones that comes to mind is like, we need to find ways to better augment your team. And what I mean by that is, um, your clinic is likely to continue to have clients that have higher expectations, they're looking for more engagement, they're asking more of you. Um, and it's going to be increasingly difficult for practices to wear all the hats that they have mm-hmm. as a small business to serve those clients. And and so there's a couple of different ways that I think you can break that down. The first is really understanding what your team's core kind of focus is for your community and for your clients and it might mean that there's opportunities for you to start doing things to support some of the less critical interactions by technology or partnering with other providers to help really extend the support of your team so i'll give you a specific example Um, there's no i I think this idea that clients are going to continue to want help 24 7, they're gonna is is here to stay. I think that yeah. there's a lot of value in really trying to figure out what is the connectivity and the continuity of care so that if you have a client that's messaging you after hours, when you do see them in person, you're building upon that interaction, and you're actually able to drive ideally a more compliant and efficient visit. However, you can't just put your team on call 24-7. That's not realistic. Right. And so one of the things that you need to think about is, you know, how do we augment our team in particular during those periods where we know it's going to be difficult for our team to provide those services? So we've seen kind of an explosion now of these, you know, teletriage and other services that can plug into your practice to provide general advice and kind of initial access to support, not necessarily with the intention of replacing the need for the visit, but really acting as a lower uh, and a more accessible, easier touch points so that when your team gets involved, you can really focus in on elevating the care as needed without sacrificing that always-on availability. So I think that's one to consider. Like, what does that look like when your clients yeah. need support, but you can't be the people to provide it?
0: Yeah, so so this is mostly be sort of uh, probably clients outside the building type support, right? I mean, accessibility, yeah. things like that, scheduling, uh, phone support um, advice, yeah, OK. Yeah, I, mean, I, get, exactly. I get that. I, 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 I believe no. I believe that's true. I also think the other thing that supports that, um, I think that I think the the laborer push for more flexible work hours and then also work from home. I think also yeah. both of those things feed into this new model of hey, you can provide support from outside the clinic in a way that's yeah. valuable. No, I agree with that. That's a really important point because I think this
1: is more, may, maybe there's a bit of a misconception um, about you know, the type of support you can provide. There's clearly like a, a portion of the profession that gets, I, I think, reasonably and rightfully so nervous about the idea of, hey, is yeah. this other vets or medical professionals that are informing my clients? Where do I get looped in? There's the very levels of comfort of it. But what we're really talking about is there's a huge segment of tasks that have nothing to do necessarily with that, like high end medical advice or case management that are required to power the client experience that you depend on. And to your point, Andy, about the recruitment piece, if you're a practice that has the option for hybrid work environments where you can actually create an an opportunity for staff members to add value to your practice, um, help to take on some of those tasks and and really uh, offset that workload for your in clinic team, it's a huge way to recruit a completely different pool of, of individuals. They're, they're yeah. more um, attractive jobs in, in many ways. They're more flexible. It's a great balance for folks. Um, and it ends up becoming a huge differentiator between you and other clinics. And so I think that's another piece of this where if you can go as a practice to say, look, we're going to hire for a client representative, or we're going to hire for a a manager. And there is a remote or flexible work component that already puts you in a very small percentage of practices that offer that type of working environment, which people now are increasingly coming to expect. And I think it actually broadens the applicant pool beyond the traditional types of people that would Work in vet clinics. People that um, you know come from client service backgrounds or other areas that now are saying, "Well, wait a second. You know, I don't have maybe as much veterinary experience, but this job sounds really interesting." So I think those two yeah. go hand in hand.
0: No, I think that makes I think that makes total sense. Yeah, that 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 fits for me. I, I think you know to to kind of pull on that thread a little
1: bit more. For you to take advantage or even create those opportunities in the first place, you need to have hospital systems and processes that. People remotely can plug into. So if you're yeah. a practice that is paper based or you have hospital systems that mean that, like, you have to be on premises to even log in and get basic information, um, there isn't the ability to. To, to communicate with your team in a, in a remote way, you're not gonna be set up to take advantage of some of these new opportunities. And so maybe another start doing is really optimizing for your team, how they can function together both in person and remotely by using things like Slack or some of these other tools, but really focusing on, you know what are the two or three key tasks and workflows that we need to optimize these tools around so that whether you are the front desk person that's at the other side of the building, you're a vet that stepped out for a break or you're a remote team member, you can still actively participate and contribute to these practices. And I think what we're finding is the same sort of basic infrastructure of remote first businesses that they just needed to have in order to function. Like our company is completely remote. We we have an office that people can kind of go into if they want, but these tools aren't kind of optional add-ons. They are the the, the infrastructure of our entire business. We couldn't do what we do without them. And I think what's happening is if you can bring that layer in that thinking to a vet clinic wow that's a really powerful one 2 punch because you have all the benefits of working in the and the, the purpose of a practice combined with the flexibility and connectivity of those remote first companies and I think that can be really powerful for practices yeah
0: no I, I- I, I agree with that. I, I think um, it kind of blew my mind there for a second because you're right. You know, how many of our practices have we've had this old school way of doing things and we've kind of added to it, augmented it. We kind of dipped our toe into some electronic record stuff, but we've still got, you know, kind of half of our paper stuff. And, you know, the yeah. idea of stepping back and looking at your practice with fresh eyes and going, OK, let's look 10 years down the road. What? what what base model do we want to be built on, right? Because that's what we're yeah. talking about, and and yeah. you don't want to switch your PIM systems around, you know. You don't want to keep, you know, jumping from one thing to another. And so I, I think that there's a lot of wisdom in stepping back and saying, all right, how do we lay the groundwork so that we know that accessing from outside the building or allowing other people to come in uh, virtually and and interface with our with our team, that's that's going to be important. Man, laying that groundwork as opposed to waiting until you get to a place where you really need to have that sort of flexibility and you don't have it. That's uh, that's that's insightful.
1: Yeah, I, I think the other thing, too, is it's been really easy. For a very long time for practices to say things like, Well, our clients don't want these things, they don't, they don't need it. There really hasn't been maybe the internal push within the profession to accelerate towards these new ways of working. But for the first time ever, you're seeing like r- r- associates and, and new staff members that are saying, Look, if your practice works like this, I'm not gonna work for you. If you're a yeah. practice that doesn't have access to these tools, you're a practice that's gonna make me all of a sudden like write my records, or you're even a practice now that doesn't have some of these cloud-based systems, you're seeing that. because there's so much more technology and it's so much more in your face, people are developing relationships and getting exposed to these tools far earlier in their career. And so they're going to these employers and saying, these are the tools that I work with. This is what I want to do. Oh, you don't have them. Well, that's another cognitive kind of load that I'm going to have to to bring on to this practice because I'm going to have to have a completely different way of doing things. And for certain for certain team members, if they're already really used to it, they're not going to want to go back, right? Like it's, yeah. it's kind of equivalent of being like an accountant and then there's one accounting shop that like, uses like Microsoft Excel and another one that uses like ticker tape, and you've grown up in the school of Excel, like you're not going to go work at the ticker tape office. And in fact, right. your, your mindset is that business is not long for this world. And so it's not just practically speaking what the day-to-day work looks like, but what is the signal that you're sending to your team, to potential new applicants and to your clients about the type of practice that you are going to become and where you're investing your time and energy? Because it, it, we don't have the luxury now, I think, of, of just putting our heads in the sand, and it's really beginning to shape the types of people you can recruit and the types of people that want to stay and and, and work in your clinics.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. I, yeah, I think one of the things that's really interesting is I, I think a lot of us like to believe that we're going to have a lot more runway than we do. So, for yeah. ex- you know what I mean? Like five yeah. years ago, you're like, eh, you know, I mean, people working outside the clinic, I don't know. And, and yeah. if people start getting excited about it, then maybe I'll get on board. Well, all of a yeah. sudden, consumer technology shifts or it shows up in other industries. And six months later, Pet yeah. owners are like, oh, I, I'm very used to communicating this way, and now yeah. you know, I, I 100% want a text-driven, chat-driven interface. And, and you're right yeah. about about other veterinarians coming in as well. Like, I, I, you know, I think a lot of us thought that this would be a slow march towards accessibility, and it has not been. It has kind of been flipped a switch, and very quickly you look outdated or you feel outdated.
1: And, and and I think it's okay to like understand and take a step back and be like, it, it makes sense that veterinarians would feel that way because for the longest time, the, the career arc of a veterinary profession was very well defined from the earliest days that you decided to be a vet. And so you can develop this mental model that you really kept from vet school, from volunteering to vet school, to your first days in practice. And it's natural to be like, this is the kind of almost, uh, uh, reliability and like, I, I want that plan. And, and what is it? I think Mike Tyson said everybody has a plan until I get punched in the mouth. And I think for a lot yeah. of people, COVID was that punch in the mouth, and they're realizing like, geez, my transition plan is ten years of maybe waiting out these changes so I don't have to make them to my practice, and I can you know transition or sell or go to. A, you know, that doesn't exist anymore. And I think the yeah. other thing is that the the pet owners don't have to ask for per, your permission, right? pet owners today are voting with their wallets and their decisions and where they're going for information. And so they're not necessarily considering when their pet's sick or when you're unavailable, like, I wonder what Dr. Smith is going to think about this. If I go to this vet or I buy this product here, they're just saying what's quicker, easier, better for me. And the same way that I think we'd all do in our other, other lives. So I think this is oftentimes like a really helpful mental model where it's like, if you were a client in your own practice, can you put yourselves in those shoes? Like how would you actually feel? Because when we go to our dentist or our therapist yeah. or any other medical profession, we have no problem highlighting all the reasons it can be frustrating or difficult. But when our clients raise those similar concerns, we can really clear, like easily kind of justify why they oh, are yeah. maybe not realistic or what have you. And so that's that balance that I think is really difficult for to, to, to really
0: navigate sometimes. Yeah, no, I, I agree with that. Yeah, it's um, it's hard to look at yourself with fresh eyes you know, uh, and, and, to, yeah. and to detach yourself and say, if I wasn't me and I didn't know anything about that medicine, how would I feel about this and yeah. would I be, yeah. would I be okay? And you go, eh, honestly, probably not. I would probably, I would probably complain.
1: Yeah, it's, it, it is, it's really challenging, but I think this is why I think one of the the, the the solutions to this is to like broaden that applicant pool and bring in people that maybe can help you see that from another perspective. I think one of the things that I'd never see practices doing, and I don't understand why it's like, why not recruit from your clients? every practice is having difficulty um, uh, recruiting for, in particular, you know, support staff roles and, and those sorts of client facing roles in particular. They have lots of high turnover. They have you know, people that maybe don't have the experience. They tend to be more transient positions. You have thousands of people a year that love your business to a certain degree and wanna see you succeed, and they don't even know that you're hiring. They have no no, uh, visibility to where you are in the life of your business. And you can imagine what that might look differently if you did little things like, had a careers page on your website, on the bottom Mm. of your email templates, like we are hiring for these positions and really starting to engage, even if it's only a couple of people, um, it it really broadens again that that visibility to the type of clinic that you're becoming and bringing in some of those fresh perspectives at a time when I think staffing is challenging.
0: Yeah, I agree with that. With with the staffing challenges, I think a lot about about having a developmental pipeline being more important yeah. now than in the past. You know, meaning yeah. if you know you can't just grab a trained technician or assistant, you know, or even veterinarian yeah. off the road, can you start the development process much earlier and try to groom people who can uh, come up and either take those positions or you can groom them to come up and take the workload off of the people that you have, meaning yeah. bring that person up so that you reduce the communication workload, say, on the veterinarian so the veterinarian has more time to do the clinical things that you can't delegate away from them?
1: Yeah, no, you know, that's a really it's a really interesting point and one that I think will actually be a bit of a. I think it will end up being a much bigger issue than people realize because if you take that point and you extrapolate out, what you're seeing is exactly that, that um, in particular, a lot of the larger corporate groups are saying, well, wait a second, we need to lock in these mm-hmm. graduates far yeah. earlier than their final year. We need to lock them in first year. We need to lock them in. Well, when they're interested in even becoming a vet in the first place. And so what you end up having is this sort of downward pressure, where at the earliest stages of veterinary education, it's kind of like uh, the recruiting for like the NCAA, right? Like if you're a promising basketball yeah. player and you're age ten, like you're you're in this uh, in this pipeline. Yeah. And I, I wonder I wonder what that will do for higher education, where a significant part of that individual's development is going to be tied to that that process they're going to supply you with resources and mentorship and financial relief and they're going to fast track you to positions in their organization and they're going to give you those remote opportunities and i think it's going to be increasingly difficult for your your independent practice to sort of say like let's get the talent to come to me because they are so many further steps ahead of where you normally interact. So I think to your point, like what are the strengths and the unfair advantages that an independent practice has in a world like that? And I think it's things like authenticity and community and personal relationships and maybe different outcomes in terms of career trajectory, but you certainly need to be investing in that because Otherwise, that pool of, hey, you know, you go back, how many new grads are there this year? It's not 100, 120, it might be 10. <laughs> and the others yeah. are already spoken for in their second and third year, which is a very different shift for practices. Yeah,
0: yeah, oh, I completely agree. Yeah, I, I agree with you. The I'm I'm a big fan of the independent practices. I, I think culture, uh, having core values, a purpose that you serve. Yeah. of, you know, everybody everybody wants to have a good place to work. I, I definitely think that there's ways this little guys compete, but to your point, yeah. um, Yes. Uh, why wouldn't we see recruiting earlier in the vet clinic train or the vet training yeah. pathway than we have in the past? You know, I had uh, yeah. Lance Rosa, who's a vet and a lawyer on yeah. uh, not long ago, and he was, uh, we were talking about uh, signing bonuses. And uh, so, signing bonuses have have really taken off and new grad salaries are, are going up. And he, he really made the point that we call them signing bonuses, but they're not. They're retention bonuses, meaning, yeah. hey, you come in and then you stay for three years or four Years or whatever, and then you'll get this money. And if you don't, then you have to give it back. Or you, or if yeah. they're smart, they get it prorated. Uh, but but they have to give it back. And so yes, you, you, at part you know when you when you think about it, and you say, how do you go to a second year vet student and recruit that person? It's like well. If you're willing to do something like retention bonuses and things like that, there's a lot of yeah. tricks in your bag that you yeah. can actually use to to make this type of recruiting work. And so, I I would not be surprised to see more and more of that. That's that's um, it's definitely a shift. So then again, it goes back to the pipeline question of. How do you get in? How do you start mentoring? How do you start building relationships? How do you stay involved? And I look at at the vet schools and I look at it, the technician schools because I feel like for a yeah. lot of places that's a lot easier. Uh, but you know they're they're looking for preceptorships at the at the tech schools. And you say, well, yeah. you know, we, we're a hospital that likes to teach and we have a good culture and we're willing to take some people on and we do it in an organized way. And again, it's um it's the long game and it's definitely not guaranteed. Yeah. I see a lot of people who are like, I had I had three externs and none of them came here. And I go, well, that's part of. It, yep. that is part of the deal <laughs> but yeah. it, it's uh it's 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 fishing you know Hey everybody! I just want to jump in real quick with a couple of updates, gang. Before I do though, I got to get a shout out. I got to get some love to Banfield the Pet Hospital, guys. They have stepped up and supported us in getting transcripts for both this podcast and the Kona Shame Veterinary Podcast, which is the other podcast that I host. They do it uh, to increase accessibility and inclusion in our profession. That is a uh, that is a big. Uh, point for them right now is, is something that they are doing for our whole profession and industry and they stepped up and put their money where their mouth was and said how can we help you and I said hey this is a thing that people have asked for and, uh, and it's, a, it's a big lift for us and 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 Banfield said we got you buddy and they have made this happen so if you want transcripts for our podcast we got them head over to unchartedvet.com you can see all of our podcasts and you can see transcripts for those there feel free to share them help us get the word out but I just gotta give some love to Banfield because they didn't have to do that but but they did and it is awesome. So thanks to them. Over at Uncharted Online on June 29th at 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time, 5.30 Pacific. That is uh, p.m., not a.m. Uh, we're not doing the 5.30 a.m. Pacific thing. Guys, over at Uncharted Online, so you can join from anywhere, my friend, the one and only practice management goddess, Stephanie Goss, is doing her teamwork mind meld. Setting expectations for team communication. Guys, do your teams struggle from a lack of accountability? You're like, people don't do what they say they're going to do. And people don't follow up the way that they should. And people don't communicate in a way that stuff actually gets done. And they are making uh, assumptions about what is going to happen that are not realistic. And it is continuing to cause problems between the team and management guys i see this all the time stephanie goss's workshop is all about setting expectations for how the team is going to communicate just think about how much you need that gang this is a two-hour actual workshop come with your uh, camera come ready to talk about your practice so this is going to be stuff that you can take home and plug right into what you're doing and actually make a difference in the way your your practice functions and to take this back and engage it with your team in a way that's going to make a difference. Guys, I hope you'll check it out. 70 Goss is amazing. Uncharted workshops are, uh, they're uniformly pretty freaking fantastic. I do love them. I'll put a link to that down in the show notes. Guys, as you might've heard, my brand new exam room communication training course, it launched on June the 7th. It is my 17 tips, tools, tricks, and hacks to make you and or your team more effective in the exam room. Guys, this is the stuff that I lecture on all over the world. Is my absolute best material. I wanted to make it available to everybody. I have people who always come up to me after my talks and say, that was great. How do I teach my staff? To do that. And I got you now, buddy. I've got you covered because you can take this to your team. It is a hundred percent module. It is broken up into five-minute modules that you can drop into your staff meetings, tag it onto the end of a, of a team training meeting. You can do it in the morning huddle. You can go through and everything stands alone. So you can pick the things that you like. Skip the ones that you don't, you can look and say, We need this the most in our practice. Let's do this. Guys, the course pays for itself if there's one thing that you take and you give to your team and they go, Oh, light bulb moment. It is it is um the fact that it's made to go back to your team and be interactive, which means everything comes with discussion questions. So you can say to your team, how do we do this? What does this look like in our practice? How could we do this better? What opportunities do we have for improvement here? And, and I give you those suggested wordings and questions to ask so that you can get your team to engage. Guys, I'm super proud of this. I'm super happy for the first 30 days. So until July the 8th, uh, it's $100 off. It's a launch special. I don't want to, to slip past you. If you're like, I want to try that out grab it uh grab it now uh grab it while it's got a hundred dollars off i'll put a link in the show notes but guys i hope you uh love it and you enjoy it and if uh if you haven't checked out my charming the angry client course it's built in a similar model it's been very very popular people who have had it can tell you about what it's like um you feel free to ask because it has gotten very good reviews and a lot of people have gotten a lot of mileage out of this but guys i want you to be able to train your team, specifically your team, not some generic team. I want you to train your team in a way that's going to work in your practice. And this is why I made this tool so it can get taken and used as you want to use it so it supports your culture and your practice and the way that you guys work. And um, anyway, I hope you'll check it out. I am, like I said, I'm over the moon that it is launched and uh, boy, it's been a lot of work for me and my team. But I think it's going to be totally worth it for, uh, for those of you who check it out. All right let's get into this episode
1: and then the other point that you raise is like okay you have that person how do you allow them to develop their career and themselves in in your in your job and their jobs in, in your community and I think this is again where it's a bit of a mind shift but traditionally you know you have these very kind of like Almost like rigid uh, identifiers for for roles and practices, right? So you have like a registered veterinary technician, you have a veterinarian, yeah. you have, and the reality is it's much more of a fluid spectrum. Where depending on your experience and your interests, there's a huge gradient in terms of you know a, a registered veterinary technician that specializes in you know surgery and supporting the surgical services of a practice versus an entry level one. And I think what people are gonna want is they're gonna wanna see from employers a much clearer map of how they can advance themselves, how they can make more money, how they can take more accountability and ownership by staying with you. And this is where there's an opportunity to like, Carve out and actually be a lot more nimble as an independent practice because you can reinvent, you can develop levels yourself. You can, and this mm-hmm. is some of the best practices that we've even heard in the uncharted community. Where I think when I look at the practices um, in that community that are really successful, one of the things that they pay in particular attention to is really clearly laying out this is the expectations for you, but more importantly, yeah. this is where we think we can get you to, and why when we make decisions, your role looks like this. Like a lot of the, yeah. I think one of the things about the, the culture which can really um, kind of get away from you is that without those clear expectations, without opportunities for advancement, and without like a transparent set of rules and guides and, oppor- and uh, opportunities, the ambiguity can really paralyze people or get your yeah. good people to leave or frustration. And the practices in Uncharted that I think are fantastic are the ones that are like, we've introduced three levels of technicians and this is the hours of the work that you need to do. and. And, and those are the types of people, they're gonna stay with you because they wanna grow and they see that you have an opportunity to, to do that with them.
0: Well, yeah, especially for like the the technician levels, um, you know, uh, pay scales, yeah. things like that. There, there's there's a nice wage transparency that comes with it. But this it, you can also sort of gamify your, your training and your development and you say, this is what you need to get to the next level and this is how you get rewarded when you get there. And yeah. it, I think it makes a lot of sense. I, I really like, I like your point even with doctors, you know, one of the things when we talk about change and evolution, one of the things that's really important is that people need to be able to see themselves in the future that you're creating. You know, they need yeah. to know that there's a place for them there. Yeah. And if they can't see themselves in where you're going, that's very demotivating. And so when, when I come to you and I say, Adam, this is what I'm really excited about. And you say, Andy, I could see you doing more and more of that and ultimately moving in this direction. I think that's really powerful. I was up at a, a practice in, uh, in New York. It was uh, outside of Syracuse and uh, they had, they weren't, breaking ground on a huge rehabilitation facility behind mm-hmm. the vet clinic. And they had, had uh they had, had some technicians who like 10 years ago, uh, just, uh, you know, twisted, twisted yeah. arms to get a little yeah. closet at the back of the building <laughs> where they could do rehab stuff. Yeah. And they, and they loved it and they advocated for it and they built that business up and they got the you know, aquatic treadmill and they're doing, yeah. they're doing a lot of rehab and, yeah. um, and they finally grew that thing up to where the owners were like, look, we're going to build you. We're going to build you yeah. the real deal, you know, and they're building that's a new awesome. building just for rehab. But again, like they had this person uh, who drove the bus and she was super motivated and yeah. they continued to say to her, hey, we're growing this with you. We want you here and we can yeah. see this is where this goes. And they delivered on what they said. And now they're going to they're going to lead the, you know, the whole area in this in this niche of medicine. They were really doing impressive things. That That's it's such an interesting story because there's so many takeaways that
1: are weaved into that for like this yeah. conversation. So like, one is like you had somebody with enormous pride in, in themselves and their work yeah. and the opportunities to do that. And I think that's like a really undervalued aspect of this entire thing. Like if you have a client, if you have a team that wakes up every day and they really truly believe that their work is meaningful and they can be proud of their team and, and their output and the clinic and they're standing within the community. I think regardless of all the future stuff that's going to, come out there. That is such an important element of of being on that right trajectory. The second thing is like in your example, like they found a way to make strides so that this big monolithic building wasn't like something that might happen in the future. Like, okay, we're going to start with this service. We're going to get this cause. We're going to keep pushing forward. And then they had a really aspirational, like, this is where we want to get to. And I think that is a really difficult thing in, in, in life to pull off where you have, Real, a, a lot of conviction on, on the vision and a lot of clarity on what the first steps are and the milestones to get to that vision. So they're like, we yeah. want to build a rebound center. We're going to knock it out of the park with a little bit of space. We're going to build this service up. We're going to train people. Like it requires such a unique individual and the, the, the right conditions in that environment in order to move that forward. And I think that's part of this for the practice is like, are you creating the environment and the conditions to allow people and ideas like that to propagate, or are you actively discouraging those types of people and ideas from joining your practice?
0: Yeah. No, I, I think I think you're right. And then that sort of encouragement, you know, so it was funny. It was, so what I was talking to, to this person about, Um, she, she her question for me was, uh, how do I streamline the process of getting our surgeries to make the recommendation for physical therapy and, yeah. to, and to educate the clients about what that looks like? How do I interface with that so that every yeah. time we have a surgery go out, they get this information, they understand what we could do. And yeah. and I was like, man, that's the level this person is thinking at is, yeah. We're here. We've got this service. It's growing. How do I continue to integrate it into what we're doing? And man, to have that coming from the technician level, that's amazing. But the other part of it is yeah. that would scare the hell out of a lot of the practice <laughs> yeah. owners. You know what I mean? Yeah. A lot of yeah. people would be like, whoa, 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 you're pushing. You're pushing hard here. Yeah. And a, they this practice had not done that they had listened yeah. to this person and supported and tried to work with her and figure out hey, okay we see where you're going how how do we do this and what does this look like and they've got this video monitor in the waiting room that looks really good it was like uh a, it's, a, it's like a vertical one so you know it's uh yeah. you know like four four feet tall two feet yeah, wide yeah, kind of yeah. cool yeah and they've got rehab videos that are playing in the waiting room so when that's clients are in the amazing. waiting room they're watching this stuff and you just go yeah. man but that dude that's all that was all technician driven i was i was it was technician driven and owner facilitated it supported. As I say, it was, it was impressive.
1: Yeah, it, it, and there's, there's kind of like a, an interesting parallel between like startups and like that, that experience where oftentimes the people that are closest to the customer, the closest to the user when you're building something, they have such powerful insights because they can see what they're reacting to and how they're learning. And in practices, that's usually not the owner. It's usually not the manager, it's usually the front desk staff. And so how are you empowering those people to have a meaningful voice and actually more importantly, take that step further and take actions that are in the best interest of those individuals. And then to your point about like, how do you kind of get that information in? I think a lot of times this is one of the biggest challenges for practices. They spend a lot of time on the setup of something, but they're not really thinking it from the perspective of, okay, well an owner might need to know about this six or seven times. And if they only come in twice a year, that means that I need to tell them every single time that they're in for three years in order to to actually make that decision, plus like the the nature of their pets and their care and where they're at financially. And so, if you have a practice that's reluctant that first time to talk about rehab, they're never going to cross that threshold where they've hit somebody enough times to make that top of mind. So, you have to be creative. You have to say, is there ways that we can expose people to what we're offering that isn't hanging on the recommendation of an individual face-to-face conversation. The videos are a great touch, like surfacing up those patient stories, the newsletters, all those things that are just maybe not where they make the decision, but they build yeah. a bit of a, a, a foundation that when that recommendation ultimately might be reinforced or come from the vet, they're like, huh, this isn't the first time I've heard about this. I saw those waiting room videos. I saw that patient. I saw the cute thing on Facebook. You're just yeah. you now, you're kind of just pulling that last push to get them over the edge as opposed to Uh, beginning it from a cold start, which is really hard. For practices in general, I find.
0: Oh, I com- I completely agree. You know, the, but the idea when you look at how crowded the media environment is and how much messaging pet owners receive from yeah. Google ads, from on social media, from from TV ads, from all these places, yeah. the idea that they're going to roll into the vet clinic, I'm going to see them once a year, I'm going to say, hey, this is what you need to do, and it's going to cut through <laughs> yeah. all that noise. That's really hard. I, I think yeah. we we have we have so many things that we talk about exactly one time. Like a new puppy comes in, and we talk about pet insurance, or we talk about. Yeah. Dental care, or we talk about whatever it is. Uh, We talk about weight control and and feeding a good diet. And then we're done, and and we don't talk about a diet again, and we don't talk about weight control, and we don't talk about dental health, and we don't talk about any of these things. And it's sort of like, guys, we know that if you want to get someone to Commit to letting you clean their pet's teeth. They can't learn about dental cleanings the day that you recommend them. They really yeah. need to have heard this seven times before, and probably in different ways in, in conversations with the doctor, with the tech. Probably they probably need to to read something about it. You know, see videos on what it is. So, you know, get get yeah. get a newsletter. Just this multimodal education.
1: And 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 I think the examples that you shared are are are, are really amplify this problem, which is that I feel like practices are really just receiving. They're like, okay, this is a new priority of the month. This is a new priority. There are so many things that now I'm expected to do, which means that what do I actually stand for? Like, what's the one thing that people respond for me for? And I think that the 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 start doing thing, I would I would I also encourage like practices need to be polarizing. In the sense that you need to have something that when a a, a friend is talking to a friend, they're like, where do you take your pet? Like, I go to this clinic because of X and and really focus on that because otherwise you're swimming in a sea of priorities. All these topics are important for pet health, which means that none of them are important for pet health because none of them are actually receiving the the focus and attention they deserve. And on the flip side, I think that people are going to gravitate towards businesses that, that carve out positions on things. And for pets, like I, I think that there's such an opportunity there to say like, look, we are great at this. We're gonna make this a priority. It might mean that we're not the best vet for you and that's okay here. But as a result, the things that we're gonna do, we're gonna do very well. We're gonna reinforce them and we're gonna start to see the fruits of that labor. And that's why I think you're seeing some of these new practices come out with like membership models where they're like, look, we know that for us as a clinic, we have a commitment to this client of this patient over the lifetime of that pet. And we want to work with people that are gonna make that commitment to us. So we have a business model and a care model that allows us to go deeper for your pet's needs, allows us to be more supportive. And as a result, it means that we can't take on thousands of new clients. But for the clients that we do have, this is what we're going to do. And the other thing too, is it gives permission to your staff to say no. And I think that's where things get really important, where if you stand for something and you create that culture, it allows your staff to confidently say, this is what we're going to do and this is what we're not going to do. As opposed to, I think what's happening right now where there's more than ever before, there's more to keep up and you're kind of like, where where are the priorities? Where are is yeah. our focus?
0: Yeah, you want to be all—it's the all things to all people problem, right? the the best The best example of this, just to validate sort of your point here, I was working this practice in Florida, and uh, they were—I was working with with one of their technicians, and she was in charge of their marketing, and she was trying to figure out sort of what the brand messaging of the practice would be. And it was a feline-only practice, and so I was talking to her, and we were talking about their uh, approach to low-stress handling, and they were very into that. And so, uh, so we were talking, and, and she was walking me through what appointments are like, and I said, "Well, you know what happens when you have a stressful Patient coming in, or a cat that you think might be high stress or high anxiety and stuff. And she said, "Well, we have these um, these calming packages that the owners come and pick up, and it's the yeah. towel, and it's the feel away, and it's uh, yeah. gabapentin or you know what, whatever it was." Yeah. And, and I said to her, well, "What happens if the pet owner doesn't, you know, doesn't make time to come in and get that, or doesn't want to come in and yeah. get it?" And she said, "Well, then they're not a good client for our practice, yeah, or they're not a good fit for our practice, yeah." And I remember that, and I was like, man they they've got it like they like yeah. i can't believe we're talking about your brand message like you've got this you got nailed it. down yeah, yeah. Exactly. and that like and it wasn't like and we also did these other things but they were like no we're a low stress practice and we we want cats to be happy coming to the vet and, and if you don't yeah. if you're not on board then you're not the right client for us and i thought yeah. man not only not only is that a powerful message you know for attracting clients but adam isn't that is it that the place you'd want to work
1: like 100% like it's so, it's such a it's it's such in some ways like this simple but powerful concept because you're just like there is no negotiation. This is how we treat our patients. Yeah. And if you're a client, like if you're a client, you're either gonna be, wow, that's fantastic. I am anxious about my pet. My pet does get stressed. But if you're saying, well, my pet isn't like that, I don't care, th- then they're, they're opting out, right? You're like, it's it's really it's such a powerful thing to find those moments where you're like, no, this is who we are and let's yeah. double down on that and make sure it's, it's part of each interaction that we have. And to your point about recruitment, these are the things that, that I think the next generation of veterinarians wants to hear, right? Um, yeah. So that's fantastic. Things that used to be optional that are now required and now are are almost baked into the DNA of the practice. Pain management is another one. There's a bunch of these medical things that you have saw. Well, maybe we'll do it, maybe we'll not to like, oh, it's required to like, no, actually we have a really strong reaction when you go against what we believe is true Uh, and i think that's a really powerful trend for practices to continue to explore
0: yeah i I completely agree The the, sort of the picking your picking your values picking the thing that you stand for and saying these are our people and this is what we believe Uh, again i I don't think you can pick every aspect of medicine and say we stand strongly on all of these things i think you need to figure out what you're really about adam little thank you so much for being here my friends where can people find you online where can they learn more about gofetch
1: yeah, so uh, check out GoFetch.ca. Uh, um, they can reach me at Adam at GoFetch.ca or uh, Twitter at at, Expon- at ExponentialVet. i um, And happy to connect with anybody.
0: Thanks for being here. Thanks, man. And that is our episode. That's what we got, guys. I hope you enjoyed it. Dr. Adam Little is uh, amazing, taking time out of his busy uh, GoFetch running business. itty bitty baby raising schedule like I appreciate it anyway I appreciate that guy he is uh man he is he's super fun to talk to anyway gang if you enjoyed this if you're watching on YouTube hit that subscribe button if you're listening on your podcast go ahead and uh give us a honest review wherever you get your podcast from it uh makes a big difference to me so anyway gang take care of yourselves be well talk to you later bye